Thank you, Adam. Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just hold your spot there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be moving through a couple of passages of Scripture uh, as we finish out a series today entitled New. We, uh, we started this series on Easter Sunday two weeks ago, and uh, it's just three messages long. That's kind of what we've announced pretty much the whole way through, a very short series uh, looking at new. And here's the premise of the whole entire series is that you know, there are a lot of options for us to get new in our lives, right? For us to, to, you know, to go after new relationships or new purchases or uh, a new job and a new city, a new house, all kinds of new, right, that are on our terms. But none of those things ultimately satisfy to the deepest level, and none of those things last forever. But God offers a different kind of new. God offers a new that we read of in Scripture. He offers a variety of new. You know, this series hadn't covered everything, obviously. But His new always fu- uh, fulfills to the deepest level and always lasts for eternity. And so uh, we want to understand new from God's perspective. And so that's what we've been looking at. And so I'll give you a little bit of a recap if this is your first Sunday here, uh, a very quick recap of what we've covered up to this point. But we will finish out this series today and uh, see what we have in store beginning next Sunday for our next series in line. And so the very first Sunday on Easter, we started with a message entitled New Life. And if you remember, we traced a conversation, at least part of a conversation, between Jesus and uh, a fellow named Nicodemus. And I won't go into the whole backstory, but their conversation centered around this phrase that Jesus tossed out there called being born again. And, uh, and so we kind of traced that and we looked at what that meant. And what Jesus was telling Nicodemus was that every single one of us, from back row to platform, from side to side, regardless of whether we're wealthy or poor, whether we're uh, educated, un- uneducated, <laughs> hearing me speak, you probably know which end of the spectrum, I follow that specifically. You know, regardless of where we are, our background, what we bring to the table, where we've been, what we've done, God offers us new life. He offers us a brand new start, but it only comes through a relationship with Jesus. And one of the key principles we saw that Sunday was whenever God calls us to a relationship with him, he always calls us to put down the old before we can step into what is new. And for us in a relationship with Christ, that means we have to step out of our old sin and our old baggage and our our old definitions of what life is, right? We even have to step away from self, and we have to step into a relationship with Jesus that is fully surrendered. In fact, one of the things we also learned from Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus was that ultimately when he calls us into the new, when he calls us into a new relationship with Christ, he calls us to a surrendered life, not just a shared life. And the reason that's important is because a lot of us think that God's desire for us is just to share life with him, right? That he gets certain segments of our life and we get to keep other segments of our life. That he gets certain, certain time periods, Sunday morning, 9 to noon, he gets that, right? Other certain segments of our life we'll share with him. But then we often have a misunderstanding that other parts of our life we're going to keep to ourselves. And Jesus, when he calls us, he doesn't call us to share our lives with him. He's not interested in sharing life. He doesn't want 60%, 70%, 75%. What he calls us to is a surrendered life. And for every one of us, he calls us to follow him in surrendered fashion to where we can say, God, all of it is yours, right? I give you every bit of it. I give you everything that is under, under my control. I give you my mind, my heart, my life, my future. I give you my possessions. I give you my decisions. I give you my weekdays, my work life, my career. I give you my weekends. I give you my public life. I give you my private life. All of it is yours. I'm going to surrender all of that to you. And when we do that, What Jesus tells us is that we step into something called new life. We are born again when we place our faith in him. And new life is beyond anything else we can imagine on the face of this earth. Anything that we could ever bring to ourselves to try to satisfy, 
will never satisfy the way new life does in relationship with Christ. And so we looked at that Easter Sunday. Last Sunday, we built on that message, and we looked at a message titled New Growth. And we talked about how new life is evidenced through new growth. The reason that you can know that I have a relationship with Christ is not because I preach on Sundays. Anybody could do this. And honestly, many could do it far better than I do. Anybody can study and research and prepare and plan and put together thoughts on paper. You do that in your workplace probably, many of you, every single day, if not every single week. Right? It's not that I preach that demonstrates my relationship, my new life in Christ. Hopefully, there's growth in my life that demonstrates that there's new life present. And it's the same for every single one of us. The way your family, the way your coworkers, and the way your friends, and the way strangers that meet you know that you have something different in a new life with Jesus is by the growth that comes through your life as he matures you and as he, as he molds you and shapes you and grows you in your new relationship with Jesus. And so we've looked at new life, we've looked specifically at new growth and what that looks like. And this morning, what I want us to do to close out the series is look at this final message entitled New Faith. New Faith. And hopefully what we'll see is how they all work together, new life, new growth, new faith. But at the end of the day, there's a decision that we have to make as to whether we're going to live by faith or we're going to live by something far less. And so new faith is what we're going to look at specifically this morning. We'll look at a number of different passages. In just a moment, we'll get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And then I'll close it out this morning as well with an illustration from the pages of Scripture that help us to see what genuine biblical faith looks like from God's perspective. And thankfully, we get to see an example of that laid out in God's Word. So think about the journey of the Christian life, right? That a journey, The Christian life is a journey more than it's a destination. We know that heaven is our destination. And it's perfectly fine. In fact, it's, it's a desire that we live in light of our destination. We want to live in light of eternity. However, we don't want to miss the journey along the way. And so the Christian life is a journey more than it is a destination. And as we walk through this journey called the Christian life, whether you have just jumped on board in the past few weeks giving your life to Christ, or whether you've been a part of this journey for years and years and years, decades, 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 right? The same principles apply. And much like a baby who is born, who experiences new life, what's the next stage? They're going to begin to grow. They're going to put on a little weight. They're going to begin to mature. What's the next stage they're going to move into? They're going to begin to walk. Well, they're going to crawl, then they're going to begin to walk, right? And so, and at that point, everything begins to change. You go from birth to growth to walk, and it's much the same for us as Christians. When we step into a new relationship with Christ, we are born again. Those are Jesus' terms. We are born all over again. We have new life. Now, the desire, again, is that we begin to grow. And as we begin to grow, what's going to happen is we're going to begin this journey. We're going to begin to walk. And that's a phrase, or that's a word that Jesus uses in the Gospels. It's a, it's a word that we read all through Scripture to demonstrate and to describe what our relationship with God looks like. It is a walk. It is a day-by-day -day ongoing fellowship with God. Look at how Scripture, let's just take a, few, uh, a peek at a few verses here. Look at how Scripture uses this word walk to describe our ongoing relationship with God. All the way back in Exodus, when, uh, when Moses is leading the people of Israel, look at how uh, that word walk comes into this, uh, this description of a relationship with God. Exodus 16, verse 4. It says, And then the Lord said to Moses, this is all the way back in Old Testament days, obviously. This is during the wilderness wanderings. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. This would be called manna. I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them 
What is he going to be testing them for? Whether or not they will walk in my instruction. There's that word. It doesn't mean literal, you know, put one foot in front of the other. What was that old Christmas, which Christmas cartoon was that? Put one foot in front of the Okay, I'm seeing deer in headlights. So, uh, and they're also a demonstration of why I'm not in the choir. So it's not literal physical walking, all right? This is a, a, a word that is giving us an analogy of what it means to be in relationship with God. It is ongoing. And all the way back in Moses' day, God would say through Moses, this is how my people are going to live out relationship with me. They are going to walk with me. They're going to be in relationship with me day after day after day. Look at how Jesus would describe this. John chapter 12, you see a New Testament example. So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light, a reference to himself, is among you. Walk while you have the light. In other words, walk with me, walk with God so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. So while you have the light, believe in the light. There's that element of faith. Believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. There's that picture of growth, right? And so it's as we walk with him on a day-by-day basis in relationship, as we walk with him, he grows us and he builds our faith. He calls us to a deep, abiding walk ultimately with himself Romans chapter 6 verse 4 we were in Romans 6 just last week talking about new growth being sanctified being made holy every day as well as when we give our lives to Christ he says therefore we've been buried with him with Jesus through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father so we too might what might walk in newness of life. Here's God's desire. God's desire is not, listen, is not that we make a profession of faith, that we say, Lord Jesus, I surrender everything to you, and that we demonstrate that through baptism, as Jake did this morning, and as many of you have. It's not that we do that and then stop there. God wants us to then begin to walk out our very personal faith in a very public, in a very demonstrative way as we walk with him through the details of life every single day. Students, on your campus, God calls you to walk according to him and his word. Businessman, businesswoman, as you're making deals and you'll be flying out to some other location tomorrow or you'll be sitting down around the table and you'll be making deals, he doesn't desire, Christian, that you push aside the values demonstrated in his word and say and do whatever it takes to make a sale under the guise of I have to provide for my family. He wants you to live out your faith in a very public, in a very demonstrative way as you demonstrate growth now through your life with Christ. And it applies to every single one of us. And so whenever we begin to think through, so, so what then is the fuel to my growth? I, I, I'm born again, right? I come to a new life with Christ. I, I then you know, understand God wants me to grow. There, there should be new growth that comes in my life. There should be increasing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, all the fruit of the Spirit, right? Those things should be growing in me. But what is the fuel to that? The fuel to that is faith. It's faith. And as gasoline is to an engine, so is faith to our growth. As gas is to an engine, engine that engine is not going to accomplish what it was designed for without the presence of gasoline, so is faith to your growth. You are not going to grow, and I'm not going to grow. We don't get free passes because we go to church on Sundays. I don't get a free pass because I work in a church, right? We will not have growth if it is divorced from faith. If there is no faith in our life, we are not going to have growth. It is that important. 
And so a couple of principles for you this morning as we move through Scripture. The first one is this, that the basis of our walk with God is faith. It is the very basis of our walk with God. And that as we walk through this journey with Christ, the very basis of that walk is a walk of faith. Let me show you how this happens. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter. And he's writing a letter to a group of Christians, much like us. They lived in a very fallen world. They lived in a very fallen city, the city of Corinth. They lived in a, in a city where... Literally, in their city, there was one of the ancient wonders of the world, a temple to uh, Diana, right, that was the very centerpiece of false worship, idol worship, basically. And, and so they were in that city, that godless city called Corinth, a pocket of believers. And there weren't churches on every corner, obviously. This is 2,000 years ago, but there was a church there. Not a building. Church is never about a building. Church is always about a people who have been called out to walk with God. And so there was a church there, a group of people in the city of Corinth, this godless city, and they had issues. They had problems. They were, their growth was stunted, right? And so Paul, the greatest missionary that ever walked this earth, writes a letter. He writes a few letters, actually, two of which we have on record in Scripture. This is going to be the second we read of in the Bible, 2 Corinthians. And in chapter 5, what Paul is doing here in this letter is he is dealing with the tension that you've probably felt between living in this world, our fallen world, uh, as a believer, and yet having our sights set on what God has waiting for us in heaven. And he's kind of unpacking some of that tension. So look at what he says here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Paul is using an analogy uh, to, to demonstrate this tension. Look at what he says. He says, for we know that if the er earthly tent which is our house is torn down, that's a reference to our physical bodies and also our life on this earth, if the earthly tent, our bodies, our life, which, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul has just laid out this tension. He has just laid out what you feel often, that I am living in a fallen world, in a, in a body that is also fallen, in a mind that has so far to go to be like Jesus. I face temptations every day, and Paul is saying that to them. He said, you face temptations every day. You, at times, struggle in your growth. You struggle in your walk. You know there's a, a home waiting for you where there's no more pain, no more suffering, uh, there, there's no more temptation, there's no more difficulty. You know that's coming, but you're not there yet. Uh, that's what he's doing. He's laying out this, this, this tension, verse 2 through verse 4. He says, For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. In other words, we know something better is waiting for us. For indeed, while we're in this tent, in this body, in this life, on this fallen world, in this fallen world, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Again, he's detailing that, 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 that draw that, you know what, this world is not all that there is, and it's not even delivering what I need. There's another world, another home, heaven, in the presence of God that, my, that, my, that I long for. Verse 5. He says, now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. In other words, when we walk with God, when we have a relationship with Christ, God gives us the Holy Spirit as a pledge, as a deposit, right? Remember when you were a kid and you would collect those Coke bottles? I don't even know. Do they make Coke bottles anymore? I don't even know. Everything's you know, different, it seems. You can't find a good Coke bottle anywhere. Anyway, that's my grumbling old man moment. So uh, back when I was a kid, you get these, these Coke bottles, and you'd collect the Coke bottles, and, and we'd take them to the store. There's a little store about a half mile away. We'd ride our bikes, and you'd take the bottles back, and you would get a nickel or a dime. That was, that was 
that was cash money back then, you know, this is good stuff. And so you turn in the bottle and you get money back. And that bottle was a deposit. And that bottle was, in a sense, kind of like a guarantee. You bring this back. You know, there, there's money attached to this. It is a guarantee. You give me back this, this, this bottle, I'm going to give you money. And what the scriptures tell us is the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee. He says, when you give your life to Christ, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He's going to live within you. Never can you say that you're outside the presence of God. Never can you say, oh God, where have you gone? Because God is always with us in the person of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is also a guarantee. And God says, as surely if you have that whole, as, as you have the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer, I'm coming back for you, and I'm going to take you home to where I am. I want to take you to heaven. I've got a spot waiting for you, and the Holy Spirit is my pledge. He is my guarantee. He is my promise that you are never going to be alone, and one day you're going to be here with me. Paul is reminding these believers in a fallen city that, yes, it's hard, Man, God is with you. But what about today? You can almost hear him saying, but what about now? What about today? What do we do? Look at verse 6 and verse 7. He says, Therefore, being always of good courage, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. As gas is to an engine, so faith is to our Christian growth. And he says to the believers in Corinth that, as you seek to live out your Christian, or your, your, as you seek to live out your Christian walk, this journey day by day, walking with God, as Moses did, as the Israelites did, as everyone else who's followed God has, your walk is going to be required to have this ingredient called faith. It's a requirement. In fact, elsewhere in Scripture, it tells us that faith is so important that even pleasing God is on the line. You don't have to turn there for the sake of time, but look on the overhead, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. This is a shocking statement. He says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So we don't know exactly who wrote the, the book of Hebrews, right? Speculation. Doesn't matter, right? We'll find out when we get to heaven, I guess. All that matters is God wrote it. God himself tells us that if we don't have this element called faith in our lives, trust, then it's impossible for us to please him. Boy, that's a, <laughs> that's a cage rattler. So, God, you're telling me you're not impressed that I'm here today? When you've made the whole world out of nothing? The one that you made showing up to church doesn't really impress you, if you know what I mean. <laughs> you know. So, God, you mean when I give lots of money to people that doesn't impress you, that doesn't necessarily please you in and of itself? When I... When I do good deeds, when I put up with my crazy uncle, whenever I like persevere with that guy three cubicles down at work who drives me crazy and I still treat him with respect, you're telling me those things don't necessarily please you? What God himself says is that when those things are separated from faith, no, they don't. Because he says without faith, it is impossible. The Greek tense there is an aorist tense is what it's called. And it means no way, no how. It's not going to happen. We are not pleasing God separated from our faith separated from our trust it's that important 
So when God calls us to new life through Christ and his desire through the Holy Spirit is to produce new growth, that's not going to come because we show up at church. It's not going to come just because we read the Bible. There's nothing magical about opening it up. People open it up and close it and go away unchanged every day. It's not going to come because we engage in certain activities. What's going to come is that new growth happens when we apply faith. Again, as gas is to an engine, faith is to our growth. And we cannot please God separated from our faith. So principle number two, and then we'll get to an example of what this looks like. Principle number two, and it's just kind of the natural, logical outflow. Principle number two is this. So when we have little to no obedience to God, it's because we have little to no faith in God. We have little to no obedience to God whenever we have little to no faith in God. So here's the thing. Follow, follow me with this progression. We have new life. We desire new growth. The Holy Spirit is in us to produce new growth, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things. His desire is that we walk with him daily through the difficulties, the challenges, and the blessings of life. As we walk with God daily, we do that through faith. That faith is going to lead us to obedience, and it begins this beautiful cycle that as we trust God, we then begin to obey Him. And it's as we obey Him and see Him deliver, then, that our faith begins to grow. And that cycle just continues to turn in our lives that we begin to tr uh, trust God. And as we trust Him, we obey Him, and it grows our faith. And, and as that cycle begins to grow, we build maturity and we build growth in our lives. That's why I say going to church isn't going to do it. Even reading the Bible isn't going to do it. We have to apply faith to our daily walks. And honestly, that doesn't always come easily. We have little to no obedience in our lives whenever there is little to no faith in God in our lives. So let me give you a little example of what this looks like. And we're going to see it in the book of Luke chapter 5. So go ahead and turn there with me, if you will. Luke chapter 5, the last passage we'll look at, Luke chapter 5. While you're turning there, let me, let me just give a little bit of an, uh, of an explanation of what I mean by faith. Some of you may be brand new to this, right? First time really in church or first you know, few weeks or a couple of months in church, and you're thinking, all right, I, I've heard of faith, but I don't really know exactly what it is. Let, let me just try to explain it a little, a little more clearly. Uh, for many of you, this is going to be helpful, especially if you've been in church a long time. I want you to really, really listen. There is a grand misunderstanding of what faith is to where we have biblical faith that we read of in Scripture. We're going to see an example of it, beautiful example of it here in just a second, Luke 5. But then there's also something that I think we could call American faith. It's like an Americanized version of what faith is. The, the problem with, with it is that it doesn't match up with God's understanding of faith. So there's biblical faith, and there's what we can call an American version of faith. Here's the American version of faith that I would say probably all of us have bought into at some point in our lives. Here's the American version of faith, and I think you'll, you'll understand it when I, when I explain it. The American version of faith says, God, you are obligated to respond to me because of the level of my belief. That if my faith is deep in some certain area, you, God, are then obligated to respond in response to my faith. Let me give you an example of what that looks like. Someone, let's say, uh, receives a diagnosis medically, or they're going through a challenge financially. Regardless, there is a, a, a very real challenge in their lives. 
Let's just say that for a moment, let, let, let's say that, um, uh, let, let's say there's a, a debt that is just insurmountable, and, and someone is, is praying, God, I know and I trust that you're going to provide for my need here, and you're going to bail me out of this debt. And the mentality is that because of my faith in you, because you're the provider, right? Because of my faith in you, now, God, you are obligated to respond to me. Because of what I believe, you now have to respond in response to that. We hear that often all the time. Many times it is in the, in the medical world. It's, it's in, from a health perspective, and, and someone is going through a crisis with their health. And, and you say, how are things going? And, and you'll hear You'll hear, oh, I'm believing and I'm trusting that God is going to heal me. I'm believing and I'm trusting that God is going to bail me out of this financial debt. And we all need to believe and we all need to trust. But here's the dangerous mentality behind that American view of faith. That since I'm believing God, you've got to accomplish what I'm believing and trusting you for. And it reduces God to being a puppet on a string. It reduces God to having now to jump to serve us rather than us to serve him. And here's why it's so dangerous, because God doesn't operate that way. That is not a picture of biblical faith. That is our own uh, uh, misconstrued understanding of faith. And here's what often happens, sadly, is that someone is praying, a believer that loves God with all their heart, and they're in this financial mess, and they're praying, God, I'm just trusting you, and I'm believing you, and I've got faith in you that you're going to follow through, and you're going to bail me out. And then God doesn't. Because God has another plan, and he's got another purpose in play. And that person's faith is then crushed because they believe, God, you would jump and you would respond to whatever I believe. I thought that's what faith is. Or something doesn't happen with regards to their health, and they don't get healed. And it lingers, and it goes on and on and on. Does God ever heal? Yes, he does, and what an amazing miracle that is. But there are times that he doesn't heal on this side of eternity. And people's faith get crushed every day because they say, walking away in tears with a broken heart, God, I trusted you. I had faith in you. And you didn't bring what I trusted you for and I thought you would. That's not faith. Rather than faith being an understanding that, God, you're going to jump at whatever I believe, Biblical faith says, God, whatever you say, I'm going to jump to you in response. It sounds like a subtle difference, but it's the difference between, between life and death in some ways. Biblical faith says, God, just because you've said it, I take you and your nature and your word to heart, and I trust you. And based on what you've said, what you've directed, what you've promised, I'm now obligated to respond and to obey in faith. And the most beautiful picture of that I think we see in the New Testament so clearly is in Luke chapter 5. So pick up with me here, Luke chapter 5, as we begin to close with this passage of Scripture. In Luke 5, here's the setting. Jesus is with his disciples and a gigantic crowd of people that have come to hear him speak. He's on the shore of uh, the Sea of Galilee. Often it's called the Lake of Gennesaret. I think that's the way it's termed here. Same place, Sea of Galilee, an expansive body of water uh, with storms that would swing up. I mean, people made their living off the Sea of Galilee. There were fishermen that would make just their livelihood was tied to the Sea of Galilee. And here what we find is Jesus is on the water's edge and he's speaking to a large group of people. And he uses this as an example to demonstrate what faith looks like. 
and to demonstrate, as he does, that he is no less than God himself. And so let's pick up Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. So it says, Luke tells us, that it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, around Jesus, and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee. And he, Jesus, saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them, and they were washing their nets. And so he got into the, one of the boats, which was Simon's. This would be Simon Peter. And he asked him to put out a little way from the land. Now, let me just pause there for a second. Here, here's the picture. Jesus is there at the edge, edge of the Sea of Galilee. Lots of people have come to hear him speak. Uh, there are a couple of boats there and some fishermen, right? And they're tending to their nets. Now, the reason they're doing this is because they had just fished all night long. That's when you fished on the Sea of Galilee. You fished at night. You didn't fish during the day. And so they're mending their nets. They're getting ready for the next day. They're getting ready for, or, or, or for the next night, rather, to go back out and to fish and to provide for themselves and their family again. And so Jesus sees these fishermen. He sees them washing their nets. And so Jesus gets into one of the boats, which happened to belong to one of his disciples, right, who would be Simon Peter. And he says, Simon, just kind of push me out a little bit from land. Now he's got a little platform sort of, to speak from. So it says he sat down and he began teaching the people from the boat, from the actual boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, this is time for a word picture here. This is going to be a time for a little practice session. He says to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, this would make no sense whatsoever to Simon Peter. Simon Peter was a master fisherman, he understood fishing. He made his livelihood off this sea. He knew you don't fish in the middle of the day. He knew you don't fish in the deep water. You fish up closer to the shoreline. He understood all this. I mean, he'd fished before. He was no dummy. He knew how to provide for his family as a fisherman. And so now Jesus is telling him something that doesn't make sense. Simon, broad daylight, I want you to launch out, and I want you to move away from the shore, and I want you to go out into deep water. Simon answered and said, Master, <laughs> we worked hard all night. And we caught nothing. This is a very polite way of Simon Peter saying, all right, who's the fisherman here and who's not? All right, I'm the fisherman. Just look around, Jesus. Do you see any fish here, Jesus? No. How many fish do you see, Jesus? Zero. Zip, nada, nothing, none. We worked all night long as master fishermen. We didn't catch one single fish. And now you're telling me to go out where I don't belong at a time that I don't belong there, and you're going to tell me to catch fish, right? What Simon Peter had forgotten was that though he was a master fisherman, Jesus is the master. <laughs> and even though Simon Peter was good at catching fish, Jesus was very, very good at creating them, okay? So he's forgotten a little bit of who he's talking to. So he kind of just sort of, uh, in a very polite way, says, we worked hard all night, we caught nothing. Key phrase, this is faith, but I will do as you say. That's faith. That is biblical faith. It's not, oh God, you better jump because I'm believing with all my heart and you're obligated to my faith. That's not faith. It's master, Jesus, God, because you gave the word, I'm now obligated to obey. I will do as you say and let down the nets and look at what happened next. And they had done, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. Biblical faith. Here's the application. If we have 300 people in here today, there's probably 300 different applications. The application is this. Number one, do you have a relationship with Jesus that puts you in relationship with the Creator? God of the universe? Have you experienced new birth? If you haven't, 
God loves you so greatly that he's already done the heavy lifting and he's already died in your place on the cross and he's already risen again from the dead. That he loves you so greatly that not only has he done all that, but he also invites you today to step into a brand new relationship with him. To wash and to wipe away all the sin that's characterized your life up to this point and to replace it with the very righteousness of Jesus. He's ready to give you new life if you've never surrendered your life to Christ. And you can do that right where you sit today. If you've already made that decision, perhaps for you, you've lost sight of the fact that God now wants you to experience new growth. And that's not going to come apart from time in his word because this is where he draws you to himself. This is where he teaches you about his nature. This is where he teaches you the things that are most important in life. This is where he gives us directives and commands and direction and encouragement so we don't give up and throw in the towel. So we have to spend time in his word. That's where growth begins to come. But listen, listen, listen. That's never going to come apart from the application of faith to where we trust him. And we apply his word daily to our lives. And it's that faith that enables us to stand firm and strong when everybody else around us caves. Students, those of you graduating, many of you heading off either into college or you head off into the beginning stages of a brand new career. There are going to be many around you who claim the name of Jesus that will cave in an instant when they hit the world. And it's your faith demonstrated in your obedience to the word of God as you develop growth in your life that enables you to stand firm. Those of us that live in this world, navigate the treacherous waters of this world, when our cage begins to shake and get rattled and whenever our world begins to crumble and difficulties come in, it's that faith that comes through growth, it fuels our growth in Christ that enables us to, to continue forward with a God who gave up everything for us. It's that important. So where in your life this morning do you need to demonstrate that kind of faith that says, God, I don't understand it. What I'm experiencing doesn't make sense. But in this area of my life today, I choose to trust you and to follow wherever you lead. And what we've seen is that when we apply that kind of faith, he has a way of doing what only God can do in response. God, it sounds like a deep thought in some ways, I guess. But our faith isn't built on our own faith. It's built on a person named Jesus. Lord, there are times where sometimes our vision gets clouded. And as John the Baptist did, and as many other saints of, of yours did, sometimes we have doubts. And if our faith rests in our own faith, Lord, we would all be tossed to and fro. We would all sink. But Lord, our faith rests in you, Lord Jesus, unshakable. And Lord, as our faith is focused on you, no matter what comes in our lives, we can stand firm, we can move forward, because you're never going to change. You're never going to turn and run. You're never going to leave us high and dry. And so, God, all over this place today, there are probably some very real challenges and difficulties that are being experienced. And probably in a group this size, there are some people whose faith feels shaken, though you are not. And so, God, I pray that for us, that you would show us just simply where 
your next step is for us. And God, when you lead us and direct us, may we be, may we be quick to follow, demonstrating obedience that's rooted in faith, that's going to bring growth that's possible because of our new life. But knowing that you're always going to be there. And you've always got, you've always got your perfect plan to apply. And so, God, may you get glory today and tomorrow and this week and next and each day of our lives as we, your people, walk by faith. And for those who don't know you, may they be very quick today, right where they sit, to begin the greatest journey they'll ever experience of having their sin forgiven and new life applied. When right where they sit today, they invite you, Jesus, to come in, forgive, and to take over. And so bless our response, we pray. And may we follow you where you lead always for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Let's stand together this morning as we sing our song of invitation. As God leads, if you need to pray, you do that. If you want to slip out and come forward and pray, you do that. If you have a decision to make, man, we would love to hear about it. And so you follow as God leads as we sing together this morning. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to to be pardoned 